We are Michael Vesey in London, England. Jason Miles in Seattle, Washington. More importantly, you are the owner of a thriving online business and you want to become the best e-commerce leader you can be. We're here to get you there. Smart e-commerce operators know that net profit is the lifeblood of a business. The Profit Habits Workbook by Jason Miles gives you 17 specific proven profit-taking actions. For a limited time, we are sharing this valuable resource with our listeners completely free. Just visit theecommerceleader.com forward slash profit habits. That's theecommerceleader.com forward slash profit habits. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the e-commerce leader podcast. It is getting to be the end of the year, and it's a perfect time to ask ourselves the questions. How has our business done this year? And what plans do we need to think through and sort out for the coming year? And so we've got a list of nine hot, hot questions that you can ask yourself that we are asking ourselves about our businesses. And um, we thought we'd share them with you today. So, Michael, are you ready to jump into this fun episode? Absolutely. Yeah. I think um, taking the time to review things is, is something that you naturally do. You reflect on things. But if you don't have a structured process, sometimes you can end up coming up with some slightly weird outcomes and, and uh, in distorted uh, lessons. So I think it's good to have a structured process uh, to go through. And probably if you've got a team, it's good to share these with your team as well, unless they're going to depress and demotivate anyone. But certainly yeah. I think it's good to have that for sure. Yeah. Sure. Or even ask your team to contribute to the answers to these questions. That'd be cool too. Absolutely okay. right. Yeah, yeah, good. Let's jump into it, man. So the first question is a, a great reflection question for the year that's just ending. And that is a customer insight related question is, what did we learn about our customers' preferences and behaviors this year? And how can we use that insight to improve our business? I love this question because it's really at the heart of it, isn't it? Is It's not about you. It's not about your staff. It's not really about your business structure. It's really about your customers' um, exchange of, of uh, dollars for your service or product or goods or whatever it is. And whether they're um, changing their mind about that or they are doing something new, they have a new a point of view on things is really, really vital. And so I think this is a great first question to ask. What did, uh, what did our, our customers' preferences and behaviors look like this year? How did they change? What did we learn about them? And how can we use that to better our business? What are your thoughts on that one, Michael? Yeah, I think it's a sort of humble question, really. It's not about you. It's about them, as it were. I, I think it's a very good question. Um, the, the truth is, I'm quite embarrassed to say, reflecting on this, what did I learn? Well, that implies that you did learn or that you had even a mechanism or you even thought about it. And it's actually surprisingly easy to just spend a lot of time delivering products and, and marketing away as you do, particularly in Q4, very busy time of year, which I think is why it's vital to have a reflection period where you go, yeah, what do people actually think about our products? And of course, reviews are one way you find things out, but they tend to be very skewed. I, I think um, people leave reviews either because they're very angry or because they've been in some way incentivized. Now, Amazon would say you should shut down their account for doing that, but the fact is some way, shape or form, even if it's, I was reflecting this today, uh, even if it's just the feel good factor of I'm influencing my fellow man and people think that my opinion is important kind of thing. So that can be a bit skewed. And I think that trying to actually figure this out is quite hard but really, really important. Mm -hmm. So that would be the next question. Yeah. Like, how are we going to do this really? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think 
uh, to personalize this a bit, um, for our business, uh, Kyle and I's business, OmniRocket, we actually did learn a big, big customer preference this year. And it's sort of an aha uh, you know, moment for us, a business-altering moment. Happy to share it. Um, and uh, you know, him and I have been doing e-commerce consulting since 2017, so it's getting to be a, a while now. And uh, we love our clients. It's fun to 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 do conversations every with people and help them uh, think through the logic of their uh, you know, product and brand and marketing and all aspects of their business. All Shopify centric stuff. And um, but there, what we really really came to realize was that um, we you know we do done for you services as well. And we can build Shopify sites. We manage Shopify sites, manage email marketing, social media, and, and advertising. And what we learned, if I'm being completely candid, is um, people are sort of exhausted by us telling them what they should be doing. But if we just offer to do it for them, they're like, yes, please. And it's almost like an immediate, um, like not hard conversation at all. It's like, well, how does this work? And how much does it cost? And, and, uh, We've had just this sort of fun year of, you know, of having coaching clients that basically don't want to be coached. They want somebody to do the work for them. And the done for you services offers has just been a, an easy uh, way for us to serve them, if I'm being honest. And then our team takes over. And so that's been a real preference revelation, I guess you could say. And it's humbling that I didn't really observe that properly um, before this year, but I would say this year really, really hit home. And um, it's been a great, uh, you know, change to our business. And um, so there you have it. This sort of a fun one, I guess. Yeah. And thank you for being honest about the fact that it took a while for that penny to drop, because I think often the simplest insights that that seem so obvious when you say them in retrospect are the the hardest one and actually um, take the most time and the most thought. It's weird how often that comes up. Um, I think, for example, Amazon not being named Abracadabra, but being named Amazon is just a simple one that always blows my mind. There are so many things in business history, and that's one of them. And I think, uh, you know, the, the intention of finding out what people want and having the humility to keep reminding yourself to ask that is really important. We, we all think we know best. I'm probably worse for that. I'm a teacher's son and a lawyer's son, so I probably think I know what my clients need. And, and maybe I even do. But if my clients aren't motivated to do it or to use the product I've created. It's all for naught, isn't it? So I like your story a lot. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the humility that's to cool. listen. So that's yeah. brilliant. Um, so the second one, uh, I'm going to tee this one up from our list because I think it sort of follows on that, which is market trends. What trends have we observed emerging in the e-commerce market? And how should we adapt to stay competitive? Now, I think there's a danger here and there's also an opportunity. And I think the danger is getting distracted from what you do best and the type of customer that you serve and like best by doing something that, because it's hot, but doesn't suit you, you get distracted. For example, if you are not great at, at, um, on video or your customers are like in their 60s and you're trying to do TikTok all the time because everyone is going on about TikTok, which they are for Amazon sellers, for example, at the moment. That could be an example of a, a misfire, whereas keeping close to your customers and seeing what trends there are amongst the people you should be serving, I think is really great. So that's my thought on that one. Yeah, I love that. Um, I, market trends is so important to think through. Where are people? It's funny you mentioned TikTok because uh, I was just pondering the morning over coffee, 
should we be on TikTok? I, you know, you see the ads for ad managers on TikTok or for, you know, the trainings. And um, we are not. And I think I heard them say something like a billion monthly active users, which if that's the case, that's insane. Um, and so, yeah, you, you do have to ask us the question where, you know, where is the market at? Uh, literally, where are they? You know, are they still on Instagram? Are they on Snapchat? Are they on TikTok? Uh, is it just all fractured up and you have to chase down, you know, four or five different routes? Um, and so I think this is really key. Um, market trends on Shopify are also interesting because people do things uniquely with their app installations and also with their websites, uh, presentation of their websites. One market trend for Shopify site owners that I've seen very clearly this year is um, what I would call a minimalist black and white website uh, trend. And so it's sort of interesting. It's like a, a color palette trend uh, for Shopify sites. Uh, you know, a lot of the sites that we'll use have sort of this classic branding where it's like, what's our primary color? What's our, you know, secondary color? Uh, and then you build out a whole brand around that, you know, the font choices and all that, um, iconography and all. But, um, but yeah, there's been this trend this year. I've seen very vibrantly um, switching of, just a, a black and white, uh, you know, almost colorless websites. It's very interesting. And I guess the thesis, maybe I'm guessing, is that if you, you know, stripped your site down to just black and white, the only thing that's going to be prominent in that colorway, um, you know, presentation is the product images themselves or any, you know, editorial photos or lifestyle shots. So that's a market trend that I was I saw this year that I was like, oh, okay, you know, uh, maybe we need to be redoing our clients' uh, Shopify sites um, to be on trend more, you know, for the ones we manage. So that's one that's just sort of personal to us, but I thought it was interesting. Yeah, the TikTok one is, is another one that I think everyone's asking themselves now. I mean, the question is... Um as you said, where are your customers? So I would say it's a demographics thing to some degree, TikTok as far as I know, and, and it's changing all the time. It's still skewed towards a younger demographic and female, but that's not necessarily gonna be true in the future. So, you know, you've got the question of should we be early adopters, that kind of thing. Um, I would say uh, external channels uh, being taken more seriously is a, a trend for Amazon sellers. It's been a, a trend ongoing for years, I would say. TikTok is a, a more standout example of that. Again, I just think you just need to come back to that first question, what, what do our customers want? The second question, which is pretty close to that, is what are the people who could be our customers, i.e. prospects, want? And, you know, if everyone is, if they say zig when you zag, right? It's when everyone zags rather than zig when they zag. Um, if everyone is doing, you know, 15-second videos that aren't very helpful and your market happens to be in the market for you know really helpful practical tips then you might choose to do youtube videos that last for five minutes for example and again i'm not saying that is a trend but i certainly think recognizing a trend is one thing making a decision as to whether it's right for your market is another one but then choosing whether to follow the trend or be counter that trend can sometimes be an interesting decision as well i mean yeah sure we're in deep waters mm -hmm. these are not casual things you know you've got to sit no. and reflect on this no it's totally you're totally right you know um, you know, and a lot of great businesses are started because people are like, hey, everybody thinks this is a dying sector or everybody's neglecting this customer community uh, because they think it's not valuable or whatever. And then there you go. You build a beautiful business around it. Um, OK, that's great. So let's go on to the third question, which is uh, a performance review question. Which of our products or services perform the best 
or worst and what factors contributed to their success. So this is really interesting because obviously if you have a small catalog of products, then it's individual product that you could talk about. But if you have a catalog business, a big business, uh, with lots of products, and it's probably by a collection or type of product. Um, and that probably makes sense to 95% of the people listening to this show. So, um, so it, it is interesting. It's kind of like what, what did work and why did it work? What were the factors that contributed? Why did you hit some, you know, doubles, triples, or home runs to use the baseball um, metaphor? Sorry. Um, and that, that's a great thing to look at. And a lot of times we blow past this stuff and we're like, well, we had a pretty good year, but we don't actually get down in the weeds enough to say what exactly performed well year over year and really lack the prior year data and this year data and asking these um, interesting questions. I think it's really critical. Really great question. And I think a um, couple of nuances to that. The first of all, which ones perform the best and worst? That just requires you looking at the data and making sense of it. That's fairly mechanical if you remember to do it. And to your point, a lot of us don't. And I think the single biggest failing I see if I could put my finger on one thing and often where I help the best, it's like a very horseshoes and hand grenades form of consulting, but it's nearly always highly effective is which products you need to cull because they don't justify their existence. Like either making no profit or when you've actually crunched the numbers product by product, or at least, you know, um, catalog product line by product line. If you've got a large catalog, a lot of them you will find make actually a loss. And it's only when you crunch the numbers or get your accounting team to do it for you that you find that and you should cut those. And I think that's, it takes work and it takes emotional courage to cut things, especially because you're going to probably reduce your revenue and everyone loves their revenue in most cases. Right. And then the second yeah. thing that's even harder is which things are kind of mediocre where you actually run out of um, capital to service your best products is when out of stock. If it's a physical product, there is a physical limitation to how much stock you have available. And can you you know, have the courage to reallocate that capital? Because the best businesses I've seen come through the mastermind do that. And the ones who struggle and flatline a bit tend to not do that. So I think that, even if you just do that, you're you're in the top percent right away. So you're sort of doing the second order uh, question after just the straight performance uh, yes. data, which is the eighty twenty exercise. You know, absolutely. Like, okay, what do we call? What do we you know promote? Challenge yes. a little bit with this is Please. if you ask me, what segment of our business performed worst? I can tell you, but I'll also tell you that it performed worse because I probably marketed it the worst. So then it's sort of like, well, why did you market it the worst? Well, <laughs> here's why. You know, so every one of these questions kind of has a long, long story behind it. And so I think that's the hard part is like, well, let's say there's some really bad ones and I did a bad job marketing them. And then the question is, well, you know, theoretically, if you would have done a great job marketing them, would it, they have done better? Do you want that outcome? What What were the reasons? You know, some of us have products that were like, oh, it's easy. Yeah, it doesn't make any money, but it's sort of a, you know, it's there for a reason. Customers sort of kind of, you know, some customers want it. You know, it's kind of hard to, you know, just uh, kill, you know, products sometimes exist. And so I, but this is a, this is the first step in getting towards all of that, which is what literally happened uh, in the business. And to your point, then what, what can you do about it? 
It's interesting. I would say, I mean, we obviously come from somewhat different natural starting points, although both of us work with a variety of people. Mm -hmm. And I would say um, if I had a Shopify store, I was responsible for the marketing, all the traffic generation, or pretty much all. And I had digital products as as you and and Cinnamon do. And as you rightly encourage so many of your clients to do, I'm, I'm still begging most of my clients to do that, by the way. But okay, you know, physical products don't take up shelf space. I mean, they take a bit of space and work, I'm sure, but less than physical products. They certainly don't tie up capital in the same way. So I think there's less of a reason to kill that long tail. When it comes to physical products, um, they do take up capital. And sometimes if you're importing them from China and they move really slowly and they don't make a profit, you're tying up maybe a year's worth of cash for no profit. I, I think that's harder to justify. So again, the, the context matters, doesn't it? And on Amazon as well, if you can't get the mighty yeah. Amazon with its avalanches of traffic and it's relatively easy SEO compared to not saying it's easy, but relative to Google it is. Um, and other off, off Amazon marketing platforms if I'm use that very Amazon centric language. Suddenly, you know, if you can't get Amazon to shift stuff for you, there's a problem it, it, outside of the Amazon sort of bubble. I'd be more inclined to go the route you're, you're implying, which is like, do we need to review the marketing before we kill it? So I, mm -hmm. I take your point there. So. Yeah, and you mentioned a really important, um, you know, idea as well, which is uh, contribution to actual net profit. You know, I mean, yeah. the the early days of anybody's business, you are focused on the top line revenue. Can you get to whatever it is? You know, six figures first, then a million dollars in sales, and and, and over time what you grow to realize is that it's actually net profit that's most important. And, you know, um, you, you get there by looking at the contribution of every product. And there are a lot of products who, you know, will have a small markup that just don't add a lot to the bottom line. And uh, you're, you're infinitely better off having high margin products that you sell fewer of, but you end up with a higher net profit than having a large, large top line revenue number that you can brag about and whatever, that's cool. But that actually isn't money in your pocket. And that's just a really important thing to look at as you're talking about performance of your of your products. To coin a cliche and forgive me, but this is the one that I think is absolutely true. Um revenues vanity, profit sanity, cash flow is reality, or cash is reality. But I would say it's so dangerous unless you have a, a product that has, you know, minimal um, sort of sunk costs or, or I don't know, it's not even the sunk costs. It's, it's got minimal ongoing costs. So in other words, a digital product probably, right? Or really very high markup physical products. It's very dangerous to not take account of that. I've seen businesses go to the wall too many times that have fallen in love with creating wonderful products that don't happen to sell that much. And the products themselves are beautifully engineered, but their profit margin is so frighteningly thin and they're working so hard and taking such risks. I, I just think in the long term, you can't afford that if you're in the physical products game, especially if you're importing, which is, again, quite different from yeah. digital products yeah. or, or, you know, more locally sourced. So it, it does depend on your business model. But the very least, yeah. let me put it, it, let me wrap this one up in, in a more concrete way. Get somebody with a really hard nose, financial nose to look at stuff and give you a brutal opinion based only on numbers. That doesn't mean you should only act on that. To your point, mm -hmm. uh, Jason, you've got to have a complete catalogue. You, you may have an emotional attachment or another reason, a mission-based thing that's not just about money for a certain product line, which is fine. But I think that that hard-nosed look has got to be part of the decision. That's all I would say. Yeah, I totally agree. Yeah, so, okay, so that's performance analysis. So that's great. Um, the uh, the other end of that you know, uh, question, of course, is... Um, before we move on to the next one is but the other question is how can we then modify our business for the year ahead 
Yeah. And that's really, you know, the obvious thing that we're, where you get to year end and you're like, okay, how can I make the next year awesome? And this is perfect timing to do that. Hey, folks, thank you for joining us today on the e-commerce leader once again. So the end of year review, I think it's a natural thing to do anyway, to reflect on what's gone on. So why not make that a little bit more structured and a bit more formal than it was going to be? And you'll get a really disproportionately big set of insights from it. I think it's really, really powerful practice. So the things we covered today of the nine vital questions for your end of year review, number one, customer insights. What did we learn about our customer preferences this year? And how can we use that insight to improve what we offer? Such a great question. Market trends. What emerging trends are there? How can we adapt to stay competitive? And one thing we didn't mention is what your competition's up to. Certainly really important to respond to that. We talked about marketing channels, overall trends, you know, look and feel of websites, et cetera. Number three, performance analysis, which products or services perform the best and which were worse and why? Very, very powerful. I'm personally in favor of cutting quite brutally if you've got unprofitable products. Jason, maybe airs a little bit at the other end. It depends on the economics, I would say, of your business model. So hopefully that was really useful. We've got more things for your end of year review in the follow-up episode to this. If you found this useful, then great. If you find that useful, but you could do with some help, then we are here to help you. If you reach out to me, um, you can get me at uh, myamazonaudits.com, assuming you have an Amazon-based business. I'm not really one for multi-channel selling. Jason is the Shopify expert, and along with Kyle, they do multi-channel selling very, very well. They advise on that very well over at omnirocket.com. That's O-M-N-I rocket.com. Thanks for listening and speak to you in the next show. Smart e-commerce operators know that net profit is the lifeblood of a business. The Profit Habits Workbook by Jason Miles gives you 17 specific proven profit-taking actions. For a limited time, we are sharing this valuable resource with our listeners completely free. Just visit theecommerceleader.com forward slash profit habits. That's theecommerceleader.com forward slash profit habits. 